Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon. Well, thank you for being the holy and righteous people that decided not to go to the beach this weekend. I am grateful for you. Um, uh, even though the, uh, this is a special weekend, and aren't you glad for the uh, brave men and women who gave everything so that we could come in here and worship today freely? So we, we, we honor them, and we're grateful that they have afforded us the free, freedom to live out the faith that we've been talking about, that because of their sacrifice, we get to live out all this stuff. We've been talking over the last several weeks about the bottom lines of our faith. We're just really trying to say, okay, these are fundamental, foundational things that make us believers, that make us followers of Jesus, and, and you can't live out a faith that you don't understand. You can't live out a faith that you aren't sure of. You can't live out a faith that you... You can't live out a faith that is, it's essentials you can't explain. And that's what we've been trying to do over the last several weeks in a series that we've been calling Bottom Line, is there are some very fundamental lines that God has drawn. And when you try to move these or erase these, then this whole thing comes crashing down. Without these essential pillars of our faith, then this whole thing just doesn't add up. And yes, there's some room for some variance among the body of Christ, but there are certain things that we have to agree upon or we can't all call ourselves followers of Jesus. Amen? Like there are certain essentials that when you start trying to move these lines even just a little bit or act as if they don't exist, then to call ourselves people of faith and followers of Jesus is kind of tricky. And I've been thinking about something over this last week. I I want you to, I think the tendency would be to go through a series like this and and think of these lines and and have this image of a tightrope. Like I'm walking these lines and and, and I'm trying to like stay on this tightrope and one misstep and I fall off the line and I plummet to my eternal death. Like that's not what, don't, don't, I don't want you to see these lines as like tight ropes. I want you to see them more like power lines. That these lines like are, are, your, are your source. They're your power lines into your spirit. And they give you the, the freedom and, and excitement and energy and passion and understanding to really authentically and powerfully live out your faith. Because I think when we start thinking of God's lines as, as these tight ropes, and sometimes don't you feel like that's life? Like you're trying to walk a tight rope in the middle of a game of dodgeball? Like, like you're walking this line and, and, and stuff's just being thrown at you left and right. And you're trying to dodge all the things that are coming at you but yet still kind of stay on the line. I'm glad three people can identify with what I'm saying today. It's fantastic. Uh, but that's not really, I don't want you to see these as, as, as like those tightrope lines. See them as power lines. That when you truly understand the fundamental things of your faith, it unleashes your faith to thrive and grow when you, when, you, when you settle into this being more than, than just a book, that this is inspired by the creator of the universe, and although it is written by men, it is authored by God, and it's more than just words on the page, but it is where we go. It is our source for understanding all things and in light of this book, and that's why we started with this line. We talked about the Bible, the authority of the scripture as the word of God that God has very intentionally and powerfully preserved this and brought this to us so that we could understand who he is. And this was the first of the lines that we drew because out of this line, all the other lines are drawn. That what you think about the scriptures is going to shape what you think about everything else in a lot of ways. And if you don't believe that this is the word of God, it's just another book that has been manipulated by people, then it isn't truth, then it's going to 
change a lot, but we believe that this is the word of God. And that outside of the person of Jesus, like this is his greatest revelation to us and how we understand God is in this book. And when you start diving into the Bible, what you discover is there is one eternal God who created all things and exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you answer that God question and you understand that the answer to the God question is found in Scripture and our understanding of the one eternal God comes from the Word, then you realize, okay, then there is a God and I am not Him. And if you say, yes, there is a God, then guess what? Like, he, He's got to be God. Amen? Like, you can't say He's God and then you keep acting like you're God. If He is God, that means, like, if, if you're God, then you get to decide and you get to design and you get to define things. You get to decide what's best for you. You get to design a life that fits your own pursuit of happiness and you get to define things however you wish to define them. But if God is God, then God decides, God designs, and God defines. And we have to fall in line with those things. And what we discover is, as you dive into the scripture, you realize this one eternal God created humanity special. Like all things in, in creation reveal his glory, but we're the only thing that reflect his image. That we were designed to live in relationship with God. Like from the onset, he didn't create humanity because he was bored. He created us because he wanted us and he wanted us to choose to live in relationship with him. And for a moment, humanity got to experience that. But then we said the bottom line is sin entered the world and sin severed our relationship with God. And it broke that intimacy that we had with our creator. And God's response was to come looking for us. He said, where are you? Have you realized what you've done? And then from the very beginning, God points to the plan where he's going to send a solution to what sin has severed. And that salvation is found in Christ alone. That there are not multiple pathways back to God, there's just one. Jesus is the only way back to God. Jesus is the only way that we can be restored and made right with the God who created us. There aren't multiple ways. All religions don't lead to the same God. Like there is one exclusive path with an all-inclusive invitation. That whoever would call upon the name of the Lord can experience salvation. And that salvation that he offers... You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't come to church enough number of times. You can't memorize enough scripture. You can't do anything to deserve it. It is a free gift given by his grace. That he freely gives us the salvation that Jesus died for us to have. And we experience his salvation. And that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And now most people think that's it. That's where the line ends. That's like salvation is, is, is the destination. That like that, that's, that's all that kind of God wants. Okay, believe in God, believe in his word, believe you're a sinner, believe you need a savior, pray one little prayer and boom, you're done. Or maybe you've heard me say like maybe there's one more step. You, you take a skip down to the altar. Y'all have heard me say we don't believe in the skip and dip theology. You skip down to the altar, you say one prayer, you get dipped in a baptismal pool, and whoo, it's over. Because see, that's not, salvation is, is I'm going to say something that's going to sound weird when I first say it, but just stay with me. Salvation isn't the goal. Jesus didn't come here with, with just salvation. Salvation isn't God's goal. Transformation is. Because see, salvation should lead to Transformation. And that's where we, we want to get stuck. We want to draw this line of, of, of simply stopping at salvation. That, oh, oh all i got to do is just pray one prayer and then like I'm just done. And, and what, that leads to a whole 
jacked up kind of theology which allows nothing to continue to happen inside of our lives. But I think scripture is very clear that salvation leads to transformation. That salvation is not the destination. Salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. Salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the starting line of a a lifelong journey of getting to know the God who came to save your life. And Jesus, like, made this really clear. Like, salvation and, and following Jesus is not just this one momentary thing. And what you have to understand is you can't choose him and it not change you. You cannot choose him and it not change you. You can't step into his grace and stay who you used to be. You cannot step into his grace and stay who you used to be. And some of us have settled where God didn't want us to settle. We just kind of said, okay, I'm saved, I'm good, I'll sit back in my spiritual easy chair and just wait to either die or Jesus to come back, the end. And you're missing out on so much more. And today I'm going to challenge you, don't settle for salvation when God has significantly more for your life. Y'all with me? Come on, wake up, let's go. Because see, like even, you realize... in. Jesus never simply asked us to believe in him. He called us to follow him. Jesus never simply asked us to believe him. He called us to follow him. Look, remember what he said in Luke chapter 9? Pick up with verse 23. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Do you see the language that Jesus uses? Like, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to claim an affiliation with me, if you want me to be Lord of your life, if you want me to come in and take up residence in you, what happens is every single day, following Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's a daily commitment where we renew it over and over. It says daily, follow me. Jesus didn't call us just to simply believe in him. You know, nobody believes in Jesus more than the devil. Because he's shaking in his little red boots because he's going to get his butt kicked whenever God decides. Like it's more than that. And the goal isn't just to come to Christ. The goal is to live in Christ. Look at John chapter 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." Like all throughout the New Testament, we're reminded that to step into grace is to step away from the old way we used to live. And you can't step into his grace and keep living how you used to live. You can't sincerely say that you've accepted Jesus and made him Lord of your life and keep living the way that you used to live. That's just not how it works. You can't ask for heaven and live like hell. And see, most of us want that. 
it's wedding season right now. And did a wedding last night. And every time I do a wedding, I'm kind of reminded of, of this. Like, weddings are awesome. We, like, we love weddings. Weddings are beautiful. And the bride looks so pretty. I love, I love, my favorite moment in every wedding is when the groom sees the bride for the first time. Because I'm watching him, and I'm thinking, like, if he don't react, we're stopping this thing. Because <laughs> if that don't move you, Jack, you don't need to be marrying this woman. And last night, at the wedding I did last night, it was just such a, a really cool and special moment, you know. And, but what I've discovered, though, in, in, in our culture, um, and, and, and last night, and I don't say this because their family's in here, but like last night, I did a wedding, and, and I was more convinced that they're ready for marriage than any couple I've married in a really long time. Um, and, but this is what I've discovered. A lot of people want a wedding, but not everybody wants a marriage. A lot of people want a wedding, and every, and, but not everybody wants a marriage. Because a wedding is fun. You partay. You eat good, you dance, you take pictures, you do all kinds of, you get all dressed up and pretty. And, all, and like there's a lot of people want a, a wedding, but very few people want a marriage. A wedding lasts at most a few hours. And last night there was a wedding, but today a marriage begins. A wedding is a ceremony where two people make a commitment to them. Now what to each other? What happens next will prove whether or not they meant those words. Everybody agree with that? If the couple I married last night wakes up today and decide they want to live like they're single, we would all agree that wedding didn't mean a whole lot, would it? We want a wedding, but we don't want a marriage. We want salvation, but we don't want transformation. We want the feel good of saying a prayer and maybe feeling like we've been released from our eternal punishment, but we want it to end there. We don't want to do the hard work that comes. See, people don't want a marriage because what happens next requires a lot of hard work. And what happens next in salvation, we want salvation, but we don't want to allow God to do the hard work of transforming us from the inside out and purging us of who we used to be and molding us and transforming us into the likeness of his son. We don't want him poking around and prodding inside the deep salt parts of our spirit because then, maybe just then, we might have to start changing and wrestling with some stuff that maybe we really don't want to wrestle with. But I don't think you can authentically ask Jesus for salvation and not be willing to allow him to come in your life and bring about the transformation he really came to do anyway. Let me kind of scripturally just get you to wrestle with this. Because, see, I think that's a lot of what we think is, you know, hey, let me just break it. The bottom line is you cannot authentically ask for salvation and not allow God to change who you are. You can't die to sin and keep living like the dead man. Come on. Let me. At one time, I had so much scripture in this because I, I, there's gonna be times it's gonna get uncomfortable, just because the culture we live in right now, and maybe even the, the the theology that we've been warped by. But I want you just to hear the word of God. Look at First John chapter three. It says everyone who breaks, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared, Jesus, that He might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Then look at verse 6. So no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, 
just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Like John's saying, if, like, if you really authentically and sincerely want a relationship with Jesus, then you cannot continue to willfully and intentionally do what you used to do. That when you accept Jesus into your heart and when you acknowledge who he is, that he begins to work on you and change you and transform you and mold you into who he created you to be. He starts to set you free from the baggage that used to be your past and starts to infuse you with the power not to just settle in it, but to battle it in a way that gives you victory from it. They're like, there's going to be something different about you. Like, it's going to change you. You cannot choose him and it not change you. And there's a lot of people in the room, you prayed some prayer 15 years ago, and you look like you did the day you accepted him into your life. And I just don't think Scripture says that's the way it works. Now, don't misunderstand me. Nothing you do brings salvation. But salvation brings great change in what you do. Did that make sense? Like, the, you know, you didn't, your sin didn't make you a sinner. You were a sinner. You sinned because you were a sinner. And nothing you do will make you become a Christian. But when you become a Christian, it changes what you do. Come on. Like, it changes who you are. There's fruit, there's evidence that comes out. That it's not just about a new label, it's about a new life. And some of us just settle for a new label when God offers a new life. James, when he would write in his book, he, remember this is the brother of Jesus. So this is the man who knew what it was like to know about Jesus for most of his life, but not have a moment till after the resurrection where he actually allowed the knowledge of Jesus to change the way he lived. It's just a reminder that like, like James knew about Jesus his entire life, but didn't really know Jesus. There's a lot of people that maybe sit in this room every week. You know a lot about Jesus, but that doesn't mean you know Jesus. And look at what, he's, what he says. He's going to make you uncomfortable. James chapter 2, pick up verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that sees a need and meets it? Like the testimony you heard a little bit earlier today. Look at verse 17. He says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. 
Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Anybody else feel conviction when you read those words? Like basically James is saying there's no such thing as fruitless faith. That when we truly and sincerely have a belief and a faith in who God is and what Jesus has done and allow him into our lives, it produces things in our lives. There's evidence of it. There's fruit from it. Again, that fruit is not what brings about your salvation. It's the byproduct of your salvation. Like, don't get it twisted up. These things are evidence of the decision that you've made. They're not the things that save you. They're a result of the thing that has already saved you. They're an evidence of God's working in your life. You know, there's, these, there's, there's that verse in Revelation that talks about Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone would open the door and all that kind of... Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? My grandma had a picture of that in her house, and it was a picture of, of, of long, flowy, white-haired Jesus, you know, Shakespeare Jesus, knocking on the door. You know, there was no doorknob on the door, because the doorknob's on the inside, because only we can open it. That's what. But this is what I've discovered. That verse doesn't just say, open the door. It says, invite him in. And a lot of us want to open the door, but leave him standing on the other side of the threshold. Because if we let him in, he's going to start moving stuff around. He's going to say, I don't like that couch right there. We need to move that around. I don't like that behavior. We need to change that. I don't. And like what God's going to do is start moving stuff around. And you know why? Because he knows what you don't know. And he knows the pathway to a better, fulfilling, joyful life is for him to start purging some stuff out of your existence so that you can live in the freedom that he has for you and experience the real joy that he came to die for through Jesus. So it sounds like the sin that plagued us before we met Jesus doesn't have to keep ruining us on the other side of our experience with him. And see, we settle into that, man. We settle into sin when God has called us to battle it. And I hear it all the time, well, I'm just a sinner, I sin every day. I did a sermon about a year ago now, and I, taught, I brought some big chains on the platform, and I reminded us that in Christ, sin is always a choice, but it's not a chain. You don't sin because you have to. You sin because you choose to. And to say anything different is to deny what God's Word really says. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, God is so gracious, I'll just keep ask, acting stupid and asking God to forgive me. It says, like, is that what we should do? What shall we say then? So, so shall we go on sinning so that grace may, may increase? By no means, exclamation mark. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What then shall we, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God 
that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the new pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Paul's saying, as long as you keep thinking like a slave, you will keep acting like a sinner. But what you need to understand is what, who, what God has done through the person of Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, which now resides in your spirit, that you have the power to overcome anything that once held you back. And you need to stop looking at those things as things that will always have to enslave you and not only receive his forgiveness, but to step into freedom. And this is not about perfection. See, a lot of us hear this, oh, I have to be perfect. This is not about perfection. It's about victory. That we get to live in the freedom that God has for us. That he is so powerfully working in us. And there's a new pattern and a new design and a new way that he wants us to live. And when we step into grace, we step out of who we were into who we're supposed to be. And it's a progressive change that continues to work in us moment by moment and day by day. And no, not all at once do you get all this right. And no, are there not moments when you don't have weakness and given to temptation but every time you do that it's not because you have to it's because you choose to but God is bigger than your sin and he is stronger than anything you struggle with and he has called us to live a new life that mirrors the image of his son and he has equipped us with everything necessary to live that life Look how Peter put it. 2 Peter chapter 1. Pick up with verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge. Do you hear that? Everything we need, He's given us for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. That, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Do you see that? They're like, add to your faith. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to per perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Like, there's these things that as we walk with Jesus, and we get to know Jesus, and we allow him to work in our lives, progressively these things begin to come out of the way that we live. And then he says... For if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, like the, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we should look like Jesus. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That salvation is not the destination. Transformation was always the goal. From the beginning, he just didn't want to save you. He wanted to restore you to who he created you to be to begin with. And when you're still walking around the same old person you used to be, then it says the him and to the entire world you're not allowing God to do all in you that he wants to do in you and when you get into this mindset is I'm a sinner I'm always gonna I, I said this last year 
To say that sin is inescapable is to say that God is insufficient. To say that sin is inescapable is to say that God is insufficient. It's to say to God that he is not sufficient enough to give me the supply to meet the promises in his word. If sin isn't escapable, then God's just mean. Because did you see all the things that he's... And I, could, I had 15 or 20 other scriptures that just don't even have time to get to of, of constantly just calling to say, Hey, those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, those of you who put your trust in him, those who have allowed the Holy Spirit to move into your life, things are changing. You're evolving to a the new creature that he wanted you to be. And transformation is happening. And it's changing every piece of who you are from the inside out. It's changing the way you think. It's changing the way you see yourself, the way you see your spouse, the way you see your kids, the way you see everything thing in this world. And it's not just about sin management or behavior modification. It's a total transformation that happens through the power and grace of the God who not only has enough grace to save you, but to sustain you in the new life he wants you to live. He's changing you moment by moment and day by day, second by second, evolving you into who he created you to be. And if you're not experiencing that, it's not because it's not possible. It's because you're not doing the things that you can do to allow God to keep working. And you know what I've discovered, man? There, there, there's a lot of things that, that I have to do better. I have to engage in more in order to keep allowing God to transform me. And this is a never-ending process. It'll keep happening until the day he calls you home. But one thing that I've greatly discovered in my own life is that transformation stalls in isolation. Transformation stalls in isolation. That so often that the transformation that God wants to do in our life stalls out because we have isolated ourselves from the community that's necessary for us to experience victory. Victory is found within the context of community. That's why it always frustrates me. I hear people saying all the time, bad mouth in church. All the church is full of this and the church is full of that. And, and they're not wrong. And if the church didn't have any hypocrites in it, we wouldn't have any need for the church. Have you ever thought about that? It's like going to the gym, getting mad because there's fat people there. That's just what needs to happen. You don't have to go to church to experience salvation. But I think the church is absolutely necessary to experience transformation. I don't think you grow without a group. I don't think you progress without people. Think about it. The moments you've been stretched and had to grow the most in your life has always involved people. Nobody tests your faith more than people. Nobody tests your patience more than people. Nobody tests your compassion more than people. People are a necessary part of this whole thing. For us to grow, we have to do it within the context of community. And so, no, you don't have to go to church to experience salvation, but to experience the transformation that God wants in your life. It cannot happen outside the context of community. That's why, you know, people keep, I hear people all the time, we, we, we keep walking away from relationships because people hurt us or we get so, much, we get so frustrated by people. Maybe you need to stop walking away from the people who frustrate you and maybe think that their frustration is part of your transformation. And maybe you need to stick through it and just figure out how to love people that are hard to love. And maybe that's part of your growth process. Because we're in a space, especially in the church, well, they hurt me, they did this, they said this, they disappointed me, I'll just go to another one. Where the people are going to do that there because you know why? Because they're people. 
And part of your growth process is learning to deal and heal through all those things. And from the onset, they have re- people have realized that, like, this is important if we're going to experience the transformation that God wants in our lives. When the Jesus movement first started, look at Acts chapter 2. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, the dollar club started in Acts. <laughs> then it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple chorus. They had corporate worship where they all came together as one big group to worship. But then it says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had a life group that they went to. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. I know people say, oh, I went to church for six years, didn't do anything for me. Maybe because all you did was go. All you did was show up. Going to church will not transform you. Connecting to community will be what does it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See, all those become obstacles to our transformation. When we come idle and we get stalled, we need somebody to say, hey, you need to keep growing. You need to keep pushing through this. You need to keep making sure that you're, you're doing the things that you need to do to keep growing. People who are disheartened need encouragement. People who are weak need strength from others. People who are struggling, they, they need, like, we need all these things that only community can give us. You heard Tony talk about in his testimony video how important the Vintage Recovery Group is to his continued growth and transformation. The writer of Hebrews would say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And a lot of us stop there when we keep reading that verse. But look what it says next in verse 26. See, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Do you see this call to community and this call to transformation are paired together all throughout the Scripture? The bottom line is salvation is not the destination. Transformation is that God has called you to allow him to unleash his power in your life to give you the victory over the sins that once enslaved you and to transform every piece of who you are so that you live a life that completely and fully brings honor and glory to the God who sent his son to die for you. And it's possible, so do not settle for anything less. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Bottom line is God accepts you just as you are. He loves you just like you are before you've done a thing. But the bottom line is he loves you too much to leave you there. He has so much more for your life. So are you still struggling with sin that God wants to give you the strength to overcome? Let today be the change. Are you, have you, is your transformation somewhere along the way stalled out because you've decided to isolate yourself and convince yourself you didn't need other people to, to grow? Do you still look like you did 10 years ago when you accepted Jesus? Because Scripture makes it clear that is unacceptable because more is possible. And so as we worship, everybody in this room needs to be doing some work. Asking God to show you things that you need to see. Today's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. And today, 
is the day to start stepping in to who he died for you to be. Father, speak to our hearts and challenge us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.